0: Eh... So we're in Ecclesiastes 2. Um, I would say, you know, a lot of you uh, are here, and you're, you might be like, why? Why did I come to this thing? It's already weird. And, um, but one thing that's true about all of us is that we are all trying to find um, meaningful, uh, you know, meaning and satisfaction in our lives. You know, the, the reason why you chose the major that you chose was either because it excited you and you were passionate about it and it gave you meaning in that sense, or you're like, I can get employed by this and what gives me meaning and satisfaction in a full life is knowing that I have gainful employment for the rest of my life. Amen. Okay. Um, amen. Um, it's part of what gives us meaning and enjoyment. And, uh, and, and I want you to think about, you know, there's an experience that, that, that we all long to have that, that maybe you feel like is impossible. That's never going to happen. So maybe you're like, you know, I played football in high school and then I had to give it up, you know. And uh, I would just love to, like, catch a pass in, like, an NFL game. Like, that would be amazing and, like, hear everyone screaming. And that would be awesome, but it's unlikely, right? Maybe you're, like, want to throw out the first pitch of the World Series. Maybe you're like, I would just love to, like, own a country garden in, like, France, you know, in the south of France and, like, do that for a while. And that would be really really awesome, but, you know, I'm studying accounting, and it's probably not going to happen. Um, actually, accountants, that might be the best shot you have at being a gardener in France because you might make some money. Um, or maybe you're like, I, I would love to just, like, go to New York and eat at the 10 best restaurants in New York. Like, that would be a great experience and have a week doing that. Um, the, the person that wrote this ancient book called Ecclesiastes, he was a person that had significant means and resources. And he set about his life, trying to find that thing that once he had it or experienced it would give him deep satisfaction, like as a person, and give meaning to his life. And he reports back in this book to us about what it's like. And tonight in Ecclesiastes two, he's talking about pleasure, uh, something that we are all involved in every day, is delighting our senses with with food, uh, with with sex, with drink, with experiences. And, uh, so he's talking to us about pleasure. And, uh, if there was a song that I wanted to be in the background while we read this that we're not going to, uh, cause we're not like that, um, is maybe chandelier, right? By I see just the chorus though, cause the verses are real sad. So, uh, you know, the, I want to swing from the chandelier part. I'm going to swing from the chandelier. I'm going to live like tomorrow doesn't exist. Okay. All right. Just, you know, maybe put that on the back of your mind while I read this. Ecclesiastes chapter two, um, This is the word of the living God. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also is vanity. This book is depressing, I'm going to be honest. Okay, I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves, common in that day and ours, and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, or people that live with you to have sex with you, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was the reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I extended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Uh, I believe this is God speaking to us tonight. I'm going I'm to pray and ask him to bless our time. Uh, Father, um, we come to you tonight uh, from, from however many people are in the room, from that many different places. And Lord, if it's true that you are who you say you are, that you are the God who spoke everything into existence and holds everything together, then you know each of us intimately and you can speak to us uh, individually. And Lord, I I ask that what is a a hard word from Ecclesiastes about pleasure would drive us um, to find true delight uh, in our time together. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Um so the person that wrote this book he calls himself the preacher, he looks in all these different places. You see he talks about laughter, comedy, he talks about drinking, he talks about food, he talks about architecture. You're like, that sounds kinda cool, like maybe make some gardens and some pools, plant some fruit trees, whatever. He talks about art, he talks about nature, he talks about music, I talk and he talks about sex. And he says, I gave myself over to these things completely to see if by giving because you know we usually only gonna give like part of ourselves to these pleasures. We flirt with them. And he says, I- "I'm going to give myself completely to them and see if they can fill me up." And at the end, you know, he says, uh, "You know, it's all folly." He says, "It's like chasing the wind. It's like trying to catch the, the vapor out of a jewel." Right? Uh, it makes me, which I threw my jewel away today because I just don't need that in my life. Okay. Um- Thanks, guys. I just feel very affirmed by that. Thank you. I I smoked I used to smoke Camel Lights and I just felt cooler doing that so I just went back to that so um, <laughs> just kidding um, unless you got some and then let's talk afterwards um, just kidding but it, what it, what it makes me think of when he says this is all vanity and a chasing after wind he really is using the term for vapor it makes me think if you have seen that video of the of the uh, raccoon and it gets the cotton candy right but you know raccoons like to wash their food before they eat it so it puts it down in the water and it just like disappears you know and it's like and, the, you know, hello, darkness, my old friend. He, he says that's, that's what it's like. If you live for pleasure, um, then it, it, it's like a vapor. The problem with chasing pleasure is this. And y'all, y'all all know this. We all know this. Is that pleasure always over-promises and under-delivers. Uh, and ironically, trying to get lasting meaning and satisfaction from pleasure actually destroys your ability to get pleasure. Um, living for pleasure... Is a trap. You know that's Like if you if you smoke weed or you drink regularly, um, you know, like, you know, it can help you have fun. Honestly, um, and marijuana is illegal. Just FYI. Um, and drinking under the age of twenty one is also illegal. And providing alcohol for people under age twenty one is illegal and against our Appalachian State Code of Conduct. Just FYI. But it can help you have a good time and uh, loosen you up. A little bit, but you know, if, if this becomes habitually part of your life, you know, kind of you kind of have to have more and more as you go. It takes more to feel loosened up and to have fun, and, and and eventually the time comes. It's come for me. I'm sure it's come for many of you, where you feel like I actually can't be relaxed or have fun unless I have these things. And the, and the relationships that at once this helped me like connect with people actually like your relationships start to become more surfacey, right? As they become more about. About hanging out, partying. Um, you know sex is is one of the most vulnerable and meaningful ways that people can can connect, right? But if sex is used as a as a method of satisfaction for us to get to get something that we feel like we need, it actually causes more alienation and shame in a relationship than it did before. It makes the relationship more awkward and distanced and complicated. Uh, Carrie Cohen, she has a book called Loose Girl, it's a memoir of promiscuity and she's really wrestling with um, you know, she feels empowered with her body and with her sexuality and then she's sort of thinking about her history her sexual history and I think she's really honest with how she puts this, it feels like something that's like right out of Ecclesiastes she says, for a man this might be a pleasant trip down memory lane, counting up his conquests, but for a girl it's a whole other story, I had let these men inside me, wanting that to make me matter to them Wanting it to make me matter. And, and, and so, sex can, can the, the more that we in, in, indulge in it for its own pleasure, the more that it can alienate us from others. You know, habitually looking at, at porn, you know, is it, thrilling, um, especially at first, especially in so many of y'all were exposed to porn at a young age. You feel like you're kind of being led in on something that you shouldn't see. Um, but anyone that has made that, that, that pornography use has become habitual. Something that feels like it's out of your control, something that you come back to again and again. You know that over time you have to like get more, and you kind of like find yourself in more like exotic or dark places um, until you find yourself looking at some really disturbing stuff. Um, what was pleasurable becomes kind of um, debilitating. Or if you think something that like everyone's like, okay, well, you know, that's those are bad examples. Um, but you think about adventure and travel beautiful love it by the way for the record love sex love alcohol marijuana is illegal we'll leave that to the side um, <laughs> you know but like i love traveling and i love adventure you know you get to see the world i would recommend you study abroad this is one of the top study abroad universities in america and you can eat strange food but if you stake your happiness and meaning on those traveling experiences you realize that like you can't repeat like Sarah Grace went to Italy, and like going back, she, like she goes back, it's not gonna be the same thrill of discovery again, right? Like you can't, you can't get it back. It's, it's the raccoon that has let the cotton candy go in the water. And you realize that like 90% of your life isn't an adventure. <clears throat> 90% of your life is riding in the car somewhere with someone, right? And it actually, if, if you're living for that thrill, it, 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 it kinda kills the other 90% because it's not exciting. Chasing adventure will teach your heart to not be satisfied with a regular life, right? So all these things are good, but when, when lived for, they destroy us. And, and, and Sia does put that well in Chandelier. That song really crushes me every time, honestly. Also, Dark Horse crushes me, and I don't know why, because it's not sad, but I'm like crying. Uh, Juicy J always pulls me out of my crying fit. Um, but, you know, in, in Chandelier, Sia says, you know, party girls don't get hurt. Can't feel anything. When will I learn? I push it down, push it down. Right? I'm the one for a good time call. Phone's blowing up, ringing, more, ringing my doorbell. I feel the love, feel the love. But then and then the next verse, she says, the sun is up. I'm a mess. Got to get out now. Got to run from this. Here comes the shame. Here comes the shame. And he says, one, two, three, one, two, three, drink. Throw back so I lose count. And uh, that, that that's the, the sad reality of living for pleasure is that it's a trap. And some of y'all are like, yeah, exactly. And that's why I don't do those things, you know? I don't live that life because I know it's a trap and I actually avoid those things. But actually if, if living for tra- for pleasure is a trap, rejecting pleasure is just like a, as a bummer, you know, <laughs> like life kind of sucks. If you aren't like, you know, able to enjoy and have, have pleasure in your life. And a lot of people you think, okay, I came to RUF tonight and this is, it's a Christian thing. And this is a person who's a pastor. And so now he's going to be like, yeah, yeah. And your life will be more meaningful if you just don't do those things. And I think that's absolutely BS. Like, life would be a lot crappier if you didn't do you know take pleasure. People assume that's what kind of what religion is about no drinking, no sex, no fun. But actually in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 the, the writer of the book goes, okay, so I did the opposite. I stopped doing all those things. I was very ascetic and I limited my life and I didn't go after pleasure and he was like, and then I realized you know there's like the lazy person that like just gets pleasure and then there's like the wise you know really uh, you know fundamentalist kind of person. And, you know, the same freaking thing happens to them most of the time anyway. So, like, what's the point? He's like, I wish I had just been, like, partying (laughs) if I was just going to be, have the same thing happen to me at the end. Why have I been so very wise and responsible? But some of y'all are are really more familiar with religious or moral systems that work like that. You know, like, the way to have meaning and satisfaction is to avoid pleasure. Um, You'll be happy if you do that. But the Bible is actually, if you read it, really high on pleasure. Like, has a high view. There's an entire book of the Bible called Song of Solomon that I would be really, like, embarrassed to read in front of my kids because it's, like, some real deal sex, okay? It's not like, and then we, like, we just love each other. It's, like, raunchy, you know? And uh, talking about the pleasure of sex. And, and, and the person that writes this book, he keeps coming back to this thing saying, no, 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 do good things. Eat, drink, Be merry. And interestingly, the person that rejects pleasure really does the same as the, as the person that lives for pleasure. Is that they let themselves be defined by what they do. And that's where they get their identity and their meaning. This is something that I hope that you'll remember for the rest of your life. If you want to understand how human beings function, this is how they function. People do what they want 100% of the time people only do things because there's something that they are trying to get there's something that they want to do you either indulge your desires because you think it'll make you happy and whole and have meaning or you choose not to indulge your desires because you believe that it will make you happy and whole and have meaning that you're not the person that does those things right? or you're somewhere along the continuum the hedonist and the prude are both coming from the same place which is what I do or what I don't do is what will give me fulfillment and it's a trap And you might as well just have more fun and party if you're going to be on that continuum. Jesus tells this story um, of two sons. A father had two sons. And uh, there's actually a really good book about it called The Prodigal God. It's on our back table if you want to check it out. But the younger son is a pleasure seeker. And he just goes after. He he wishes his father was dead. He takes his father's inheritance and he just goes out and he blows it all on pleasure. Um, He takes what he wants. He takes satisfaction into his own hand. But he has an older brother who rejects all those pleasures and is always obedient to the father. And he tries to seize control of the father by being good. The one takes his identity in being being, uh, loose. The other one takes his identity in being well-behaved by being better than others. But neither being really good or being really bad can fulfill you. Uh, I have a good friend, and she was telling me one time about the reason why she had never been physically intimate with guys, and she's a Christian person, and she had basically stayed away from all like sort of sexual sin before marriage, which I think the Bible would on on, on par say that's a good thing, you know, it's wise in a lot of ways. I'm pro that, um, but she she was really honest, and she said, you know, that what motivated her to stay away from that wasn't that she loved God, you know, and wanted to listen to what he said, it wasn't that she wanted to save that for her husband? Really, she was like, I don't need. You know, men and I'm like, yeah, I'm for that too. Um, and it wasn't to like avoid STDs or anything. She resisted. She said, I didn't do any of those things because I didn't want to be one of those girls. You know, and um, the moral high ground for her was actually more desirable than the pleasure of sex. And that's what I mean when I say everyone does what they want. Your heart does what it wants. She was using her relationship with pleasure as a means to satisfy herself. The pleasurable feeling um, being chased there is that person knowing that they're better than the people around them, or so they think. And there's diminishing returns on that, too. And the sad thing is then you miss all the fun. Right? Then you graduate from college and you're 26 and you're like, well, if I'm going to be miserable, I should have been miserable and done some fun stuff in college. Neither living for pleasure nor living without it will give you satisfaction and meaning. And but here's here's the point. this is what we've been building all this up to. It's not because you have too high of a view of pleasure that it won't give you meaning. It's actually the case that the reason why it doesn't fill you up is because you haven't felt enough pleasure. The Bible would say that there is pleasure that you can't possibly imagine. Um, and it comes in knowing God. We all instinctively know that, that we regularly will give up small pleasures for bigger pleasures, right? Like, for example, um, you might f- you know enjoy a night of drinking with friends, but you might forego that night of drinking with friends because you have a test in the morning. And you're like, I'm not trying to be hungover in the morning. I need to do well in this test because I want to pass my class. Because the greater pleasure will be doing well in this class, right? Or you might, I'm going to run a marathon in the morning, and I don't want to you know be throwing up um, in, in the marathon, right? Uh, you might give up the intense and deep pleasure of eating cookouts seven days a week for the deeper and more meaningful pleasure of feeling like a healthy human, right? <laughs> a feeling like I, I don't want to just like roll into the gutter, right? Um, you might give up the money of a shift at work, you know, a good the thing that would make you feel good because someone gave you Panthers tickets, right? Or because you're going to go on a date. Our pleasures are always subservient to greater and deeper pleasures, right? This is true. We do this instinctively. If there is a God, have you ever considered what would give God pleasure? If God is a person, a person that we interact with that's, that's like us in a lot of ways, who created us in his image and we can know him, what would give that God pleasure? In, in verse 10, you know, the writer here says, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. What would that be for God. That when he saw it, he would want to go and get it. And the scripture is really clear. That for Jesus, our God, the thing that gives him singular delight is his people. His inheritance, the Bible would say over and over again, that thing that he worked for, that he hopes to attain one day in his wildest dreams, is people like Like you. And me, people are what Jesus delights in. And if you know Jesus, you are the desire of his heart. That thing that when he says, when I, when I saw it in my eyes, I had to go get it. And you know that that desire is deep and true and meaningful because of what he was willing to give up to get it, right? You know how, how meaningful a desire is if you'll give up small desires to get it. Jesus, there was nothing that Jesus had to give up that wasn't too much for him to have you. He gave up the advantages of being God. The Bible teaches us that Jesus uh, is God, and he, along with the Father and the Spirit, created all things, and they were in this beautiful, perfect union of pleasure uh, and love and mutual delight. And that Jesus left that and became a person, a human like us. He left all the comforts of that. He left his safety. And in the end, he left his life at the cross. He left his relationship with his Father. He laid all those things aside to have you because there is no greater pleasure for Jesus than being with his people you want to know why there's a whole book of the Bible that's like really explicit sexually is because God's like when you think about sex that's what and, and it's good and meaningful and celebratory and delightful and healthy and builds up people I want you to think about how I feel about you is that I want to delight in you in that way Nothing was asking too much for Jesus to lay aside. And he was the person. He tells the story, and he's talking about himself, of a man who was working in a field and found a treasure that was buried. And he left immediately, and he sold everything that he had, and he bought that field so that he could have that treasure. That treasure is you. The scripture says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. And that joy is you and me. If you know Jesus, happiness isn't found in indulging our desires or abstaining from our desires. Happiness and joy and deep soul satisfying pleasure is found in Jesus who makes you his treasure. In Jesus, God is actually restoring your ability to have pleasure by enabling your heart to delight in him. And that's all. That's like, if, if you might be in a romantic relationship, or you might want to be in a romantic relationship, or you might have given up on the prospect of it at all, but what we all want romantically is for a person that feels about us the way that we feel about them, right? That, that when, when we give ourselves to them, that they give themselves back to us freely, and you feel that way because God made you. And he feels that way about you. He's actually restoring your ability to love him and delight in him the way that he loves and delights in you. And you know that is true because of what he did. He showed it to you. Jesus' first ever miracle, I know I say that weird miracle, excuse me. Um, before he had really like like sort of come onto the scene as like someone that could like heal people and raise the dead and all this stuff, he was at a wedding. And back in the day, weddings were like a whole week long. And so you would run out of wine at some point, you know, if you weren't careful, because it's a lot of drinking. And what would happen is they would bring out the good stuff first, and then when everyone would get drunk, they would like bring in this crappy wine, you know, because they're all drunk anyway, like what does it care? Like you'll switch over to some bush ice, you know, after a while. <laughs> and uh, and the first miracle that he that he ever performed was he was at a wedding and the wine ran out. And he he turned these huge jugs of water into wine. Because those are the two things that he loves the most. People coming together and celebrating and being at a freaking wedding. Those are the things that Jesus loves. And that's because God loves pleasure. God actually designed your soul and your brain chemistry to attach to pleasure. The reason why you get a dopamine hit when you do something pleasurable is because God wants you to feel pleasure because he is beautiful and pleasurable. And the Bible says, "...at his right hand are pleasures forevermore." The father in that story about the two sons, he's inviting his sons into a party, and so is God inviting you into a party. God's will is for you to find true delight. And here's why I want to bring this to, to give you something, you're like, what am I supposed to do with this? Um, The problem with most of us isn't that we want to feel pleasure, that we want to feel delight. That's good. The problem with most of us is that we haven't looked far enough down the menu to find something that's really good. Um, imagine if you went to a restaurant and every time you went to the restaurant you said I don't, I'm just going to order the first thing on the menu. You would be living and breathing on like mozzarella sticks, right? <laughs> Potato skins, you know, some nachos, right? This is not bad. It Could be worse, you know, yeah. um, And like we order the first thing because we're so hungry for the dopamine hit, right? And mozzarella sticks are fine, but not forever. And my question for you is, have you ever given yourself the opportunity to actually be hungry for something better instead of just immediately satisfying that hunger with the first thing you can find? Have you ever sat in your unmet longings long enough to even know what it is that you're longing for? Um, Most of us eat our unmet longings or drink our unmet longings or sexually fantasize our unmet longing, or perform for our unmet longings. I have a friend; he's kind of a he's he's a bigger guy, and he he always says, you know, man, I can make a peanut butter and M&M sandwich do exactly what I want it to. And like, there's so much that's real in that. Like, he's like, I have unmet longings, and I can make a peanut butter a peanut butter and M&M sandwich meet those unmet longings. You know, because <laughs> he's eating his feelings. I know it sounds silly, but you're like, last night, um. I was supposed to go meet a friend for dinner, a friend that I love very much. And uh, some things happened and I wasn't able to go. And I was really disappointed, deeply disappointed, because I've been looking forward to it for, for a few days. And uh, I was there, I put my kids to bed, um, and what I did was I, I cracked a Miller High Life, which is my beer of choice, and I only had the crumbs of a bag of tortilla chips. So I poured them into a bowl, and I poured salsa on top of them. And I ate it like cereal. <laughs> and I watched three episodes of Parks and Rec. Now, I both drank, ate, and numbed my feelings. Okay? Now, what if I, instead of, instead of taking the first thing on the menu, had just allowed myself to sit in my disappointment? And to actually explore it. Would I have felt less disappointed? Maybe. Maybe not. Would I have loved my friend any less? No, definitely not. Would I have discovered things about myself that I didn't yet know, and more importantly, have discovered sweet things about God that I couldn't possibly have known? Probably. You know, a friend was just telling me how close they have grown to God since their breakup. And... Uh, there's so much discovering about themselves and God because they were used to going to this other person when they felt an unmet longing. And now they can't. And it's beautiful. Because what all that is all that is doing is just looking down the menu. And like what is football doing for you on a Saturday? I love football. I love football better before my team lost three games. But what's football doing for you? What is food doing for you? or sex doing for you, or mountain biking doing for you, or getting an A doing for you. Those are all very good and beautiful and awesome and pleasurable things. But if you order them every time, you will never find what's really good and deeply satisfying. What Jesus is inviting you into is not less pleasure, but more. Not less delight, but more. Not less joy, but more. Stuff that you don't even know about yet. Pleasure that would make happiness now look like trash. A true delight that can never be taken from you. That he paid everything for you to have. That's the invitation that's available to you. If you sit and wait for it. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you um, for our time tonight. We thank you. um, What can we say? If it's true that you really desire us and delight in us, there would be nothing better than to have you and you offer yourself to us. So Lord, help us to respond to you by faith. I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Everybody say, hey.